Hello and welcome to the Not A Game podcast. I have absolutely no idea what number we're on, but we're still on that. Oh, 32. Excellent work. Well done, Tom. (laughs) With me today is Tom Hatfield. Hello. And super special guest, Debbie Timmons. Hello. And also I'm Philippa War. So there's a thing that I completely forgot to do at the beginning. Right. Well, what games has everyone been playing? Shall we start with you, Debbie? Shit. <laughs> now I have to mentally go through what games am I allowed to talk about? Minutes ago. What am I not? <laughs> I played South Park. That's definitely out. Mm. Oh, yeah. South Park Stick of Truth. That's a great game. Yeah, I was surprised how well everyone seems to like it. What? As long as you like South Park, it is wrong. It is wrong in all the ways. <laughs> Which, what have been some highlights so far? There was a giant dead baby fetus. Yeah, sounds like South Park, um, all right. Yeah, and then I shot it. Oh, and then Cartman. really like South Park. Yeah, Cartman goes, dude, even I know that's too far. <laughs> uh, the, the best thing about South Park is whenever anyone talks about it now, they this the strange reticence about it. Like, so when someone was, someone was complaining, they were stuck on the anal probing, probing mini game. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even report the bugs because you're too ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. so, okay. Is there an actual plot, or is it more sort of a sequence of sort of short? There's, there's a plot. Or? There is a full plot. It's <gasps> it's entire. It's a standalone episode. Like it's a really long episode that you're in. As oh. someone described it to me, it's the ultimate homage episode for South Park. <laughs> Even though not everything's in it, if you go into each character's closet, because you it's you know South Park is a quite little mountain town, so you can walk into most people's houses. Mm. wander upstairs check out the kids bedrooms open the cupboards and you just see all these references to like going back to season one you've got season 14 you've got loads of stuff oh wow so, so you, anything they didn't work in the plot they've just shoved in the closets <laughs> are you a fan of the show like how long did you keep up with it for only a couple of years really i think two or three years okay and yeah, then i tried I watching it again a few years ago and it was awful i don't know what was going on yeah, I heard that it's, like, a lot better now. Or, like, it sort of had a, a dip and then a sort of a, a, a peak in, in quality again. So, I don't know, I thought about giving it another shot. But, yeah, I, I sort of never quite got round to it. So I was a bit sort of, like, it came around. Yeah, because they do... It's very topical. They do shit the day before it airs, I think. Mm. So the episode I caught, it just looked like they couldn't think of any jokes. They just repeated the one joke throughout the entire 20 minutes. Mm. Wow, these guys have lost it. (laughs) But turns out, no! They can actually still write funny stuff. Maybe they were just sidetracked by writing the game, then. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. One interesting thing is that um, I know that the show itself is made really fast and is supposed to be super topical, but they've tried to avoid doing that during the game because... Obviously, yeah. you're not you're not only going to be playing it the day after release. Yeah, completely. I was gonna. That was going to be my next question. Like, how much longevity do you think it's got? Like, will it still be funny in a year or? Yes. Sort of... Yeah, it's not at all topical. There's very few political references or any news references or anything. It's just a thing that happens. Mm. Uh, I did hear that they have the best solution to the uh, custom name dilemma. Which is that you can type in everything you want and everyone just calls you douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did that in um, Animal Crossing, like the GameCube one. I think I called, 
Like, I asked for my nickname to be You Dick or something. Oh, no. Because that was before it had the, like, the online component that wouldn't let you use swear words. <laughs> so, and, yeah, like, writing, like, threatening and abusive letters to my villagers. <laughs> that was, that was all fine. <laughs> yeah. I know, I remember playing the Final Fantasy games and doing that. And it was either make, just put a rude word in there or just do something that would break the syntax of the sentence. Mm. Like, refer to the main character as um, you, or, or as I. Mm. I quite I'll like just pulling, do my head in. I quite like calling my characters Dave, because like it was just a sort of, sort of unlikely hero name. <laughs> Is that why you're Dave, not Dave, on so many no, things? No, that's because um, I... Have you not heard that story before? I, I um, When I first went online, it was like uh, IRC chat rooms and stuff like that, and if anyone sort of thought that you might be a girl you'd just get like hey do you want a cyber you know asl oh Oh, thank god the internet's not like that anymore (laughs) no i mean it would just be like impossible (laughs) to have a conversation hey do you want to go to a private chat room so i just thought i'd pick like the most sort of generic man name and just go as that but then when it came to signing up for other things like with accounts and things like there was it, it wasn't that early on in the internet that there wasn't already a dave so I was Dave who wasn't that Dave. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how uh, that started. Yeah, what have you been playing, Tom? Uh, a couple of things, but lots of Titanfall. Mm. Uh, unsurprisingly, because I am the ultra play man. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, and I've been enjoying it. It's been really good. Although I've been playing through the campaign now, which I wasn't in the beta, and it's just, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just like... I appreciate that they've tried to integrate the two because it means they've focused on the multiplayer and it means that instead of having a load of scripted events, they've got all these awesome systems of like of dropping robots on people mm. and things. But in terms of what's actually going on, it's just... Because it's squeezed into like the very beginning and end and then like some voiceover, it's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's just, there's men just shouting generic soldiery things at each other and uh, it's, it's impossible to care or really quite, and really quite hard to follow. At any point, but surely you care um, about the individual matches, or not? Yeah, exactly. But it feels completely disconnected. Like I was playing one recently, which had this big thing about character, you, you know, uh, doing this big heroic thing that was all happening over my voice chat, and mm. I was seeing none of it. And like even then, after he'd done the big, the big thing to save the day, it I was still playing for like another two minutes <laughs> <laughs> because it hadn't. The, the match itself hadn't quite finished properly, so it was like... Um, well, it kind of makes uh, sense. So it's like, we've done it! Everyone get out! Everyone evacuate! Oh, the match isn't over yet, so I guess I'll carry on Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the hero does do the big heroic thing, it takes a while for all that information to filter down to the ground troops. Yeah, yeah. So it does make uh, sense. In a... Were you supposed to be able to see the thing happening if you were in the right bit of the map? I don't know. That's that's the thing I'm not sure about. I've not really seen that much. Like, you, there's a lot of the bit they control is basically the beginning. There are some scripted kind of events, though, aren't there? Like, I mean, just like little ones or little vignettes that you see as you wander around the. Yeah, the, the little procedural ones are really good. Whereas it seems like if you if you run into a room containing, um, if you run into a room that's containing like two uh, the two soldiers on other sides, they'll like I I think. I think they only do this if you're watching. I think they'll like lock into a thing where they just like uh, engage it, where like one of them's like breaking the other's neck or something. Yeah, I've seen that. They do uh, it when you're not watching as well. 
Like, <laughs> I think it's a proximity thing. <laughs> well, okay, no, I, in the beta, I think it's a proximity thing because I'd see them on my map and then one of them would vanish uh, and then I'd come into the room uh, and want to be dead on the floor and I'd shoot the other one in the face. Would the other one be looking like slightly sheepish and being like, hi? Oh, <laughs> so this went too this... early. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> and yeah, you'll, get, you'll find like one guy dragging his body back to uh, the back uh, back into a building to get him out of uh, line of fire or something. But um, yeah, there's the the big like ones that relate to the plots tend to happen at the very beginning. So you'll get this bit where you you'll have a really cool sequence where you your space fleet warps out of combat and arrives at a planet, and then you jump out in a really fluid fashion. And I like that about adding a little bit of context to the beginning. And then occasionally you'll see a thing where one of the main characters will like drop down in a Titan right at the beginning just as you're getting out and you're like, hey, it's that guy. And you'll go, yeah, let's fight. And then we'll run off and I'll never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> he might be somewhere on the battlefield doing a thing, but I just lost track of him instantly. <laughs> it sounds like you're sort of maybe playing as one of the like minor characters in Game of Thrones while like, you know, all the other sort of major sort of I want that throne players yeah. are, are, are like Jamie Lannister's up there being heroic <laughs> and you're in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this, I think um, there was a uh, when you were talking about it on Crate and Crowbar, Pip, um, another podcast that Pip was on recently. Uh, they suggested not letting that one go anytime soon, are you? <laughs> <laughs> they suggested that it was like a different pilot. That every time you die, you're actually just a different pilot in the war effort. Mm. Um, which is kind of interesting, um, which explains why you're so insignificant. But it does feel more like, it does kind of feel like I could get the same effect by playing a multiplayer game and then just like playing a Call of Duty the radio play across the top of it. <laughs> which is pretty much what it is, right? Yeah, um, but uh, you know, because it's so compressed and because it doesn't, the, um, the downside of it not having big linear scripted events, and you know, I'm I'm totally glad they ditched those, is that everything is happen so fast and in such brief moments that it's really hard to follow what on earth they're talking about and you know it's it's super generic anyway the, the conflict between the imc and the between the two factions is just like the vague generic these are the rebels <laughs> that, that are rebelling for a reason mm. uh, so there's never actually any you know, socio-political commentary behind it it's just bad guys shoot <laughs> people not on my side <laughs> Yeah. They try and make the leap. They like uh, the like colonial forces, the IMC, um, like a little bit sympathetic because he's basically an in- someone doing an Idris Elba impersonation. Um, but then to balance that out and to make sure you understand that the bad guys, the other two, are just the other two. His other two psychics are just like completely evil. Just like South African mercenary guy who cheerfully talks about murdering civilians. Yeah. It's like, oh come on, <laughs> any dogs. <laughs> Probably, but I was it maybe is in a different part of the map because they're frantic puppy. <laughs> maybe that should be on like just the screens or something on some of like the terminals, just like footage of this dude doing evil things. <laughs> but the actual game I really enjoy. Um I really love how and I talk, pretty much for the same reasons I talked about when we talked about the beta is the way it fluidly links all these bits together so you can very easily be bouncing off a wall and running around and then leaping onto a titan and shooting it in the head and then dropping your own titan on it just before it dies so it explodes and then jumping back in and it's that's all absolutely fantastic mm. um, but the only reason to really play the campaign I think I, 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 like I said I like the little warp in sequences at the beginning they give a nice frame to it but there's no reason to follow the plot. But I think you have to complete the campaign to unlock some oh, stuff, so you'll probably end up that. doing... Crap. 
And it's really important stuff as well. Like I finished uh, the campaign on the side of the rebel guys, the militia, and it said, "Congratulations, you've unlocked the Strider chassis. Like of the three kinds of Titan you can have: beefy, light, and medium." Mm. You start. I only had medium until I finished the campaign. Then it gave me the light one. And if I finish it the other time, I suspect it will give me the third mm. one. So it's like that's that's super important. So, so you play it for both sides, do you? Yes, you um, do. Which is an interesting yeah. idea if if you're following the plot. <laughs> Yeah, if, it, it, with a, I don't want to get get too down it because most of it is just because I don't think it's a very well written plot. I think that idea has some potential with better writers behind it. Because uh, the idea of, of playing both sides is really interesting. The idea that you could fail each mission, uh, you can succeed or fail at every mission is interesting. But again, they they don't branch it very well or do anything like that. They just um, kind of put some generic over the top. It's like, oh well, 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 it looks like we got the stuff, the data we were after anyway, even though you failed. Yeah. Bye. So it's not really a failure, it's just... Yeah, no, if there's no fail state, you just changes the dialogue at the end slightly. Yeah. I don't know, maybe if you fail the last mission, it says, nope, you're fucked no up. No strider for you. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it gives you a different final cutscene if you fail the last mission or something. But um, I don't know, yeah, it's just it's moving along at such a clip, it's really hard to follow. But like I said, I really like the game itself. Um, and <laughs> I find it really weird that everyone's... Uh, I started playing the Catch the Flag mode, which everyone's talking about, but that's really strange to me because a big part of Titanfall is that it's very, uh, it's very much like in the experience. It's trying to be immersive. It's trying to, it's high, you know, I, I, you know, I never paid attention to the chat window or anything like that. It's just like you're in the war, but Capture the Flag is the most obviously inane gamey part of it. Yeah. yeah so it literally has halfway through it goes and now the team swap sides <laughs> <laughs> it's like really do you remember the part in the great titan wars when the two teams swap sides at half time <laughs> maybe it's mission training that's it it's it's environmental training <laughs> but i mean uh, there's no way to really uh, as much as tribes tried to there is no way to make capture the flag and make any sense <laughs> in, no. in terms of narrative mm. <laughs> at all I think they yeah I, I try, tribes totally did try and do that as some kind of like weird counting coup style games hence why it's tribes I think but no it never made any sense mm. maybe you could do it as if like you know you could set up a little playground where there was like mini mini pilots and mini titans <laughs> You know, or like the kids learning. Yeah, like it would be basically like Titanfall School or something. That would be totally <laughs> awesome. It would be good. I don't know why the Titans would be smaller in this scenario though, because it's not like they grow up uh, exactly. But like, or maybe they'd be children. You could totally skin them. You'd have like little plastic robots. Yeah. See, they should just have like a little like arena, like a kind of playground, and then just have that. That could be the justification, but. Like I've never really looked too hard at the yeah. justifications for like <laughs> different modes, you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, why is James Bond shooting paintball pellets at people in, you know, sixty four? <laughs> it's like, why, why is everybody slapping each other? Yeah. <laughs> it's fair, after all. I guess because it makes such an effort to try and sell the main thing, um, it feels a little bit weird. I, I don't... Maybe. Although, to be fair, if you're complaining about realism in type four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not real. So much, <laughs> it's you know. totally okay to just drop a multi-million-pound titan every five minutes when you lost the last one. Yeah, that doesn't make. Sense. <laughs> it's like yeah, well, that's the thing. Maybe that's why it's definitely not the same pilot each time. Because why would they keep giving titans <laughs> the 
it's just like oh shit sorry man i uh kind of got that one blown up but you'll give me I another i forgot one. about it wait yeah it does, it's also by the way it totally does do the thing where people in cutscenes can do things that you can't even though it's a multiplayer uh. game there's one where you land and McCallum, the like leader of the resistance people, just drops down in his Titan straight away. And it's like, dude, you have to wait two minutes for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he had a burn card. Yeah. Uh, anyway. There's no explanation for the two minute thing because if it's just a case of, oh, the Titans aren't quite ready yet, surely you get like an indicator of your estimated time of arrival and you go, okay, well, two minutes before that, we'll get the Titans ready. Like, seriously, yeah. whose job is it? Shoot people. So that's the thing. So I think they just have a production line of Titans, but they just decide who gets them first, depending on how well you're doing at the war. There's <laughs> only so much space to construct them. So they have loads yeah. of Titan parts already in the ship. Mm. And only the one building bay. And like the first one's running, it's like, oh, that guy's doing really well, give it yeah. to him. But he <laughs> will make the best use of it, and won't just set Boy, it to <laughs> auto-follow and then completely forget and then run into a wall <laughs> and get shot. Yeah, not at all, but yeah. that's what happened to me. Anyway! <laughs> happens to have one of the bribery cards. Um, and yeah, there's another one with, uh, like, with one of your dropships, which is a really awesome bit where you... you uh, you land, uh, you land, and you see one of your dropships flying along, and then another Titan jumps on top of it and starts punching it. And you're like, "Why can't I do that?" Mm. <laughs> Not good enough. Everyone knows Titans can't jump. <laughs> what I'd really like is for people to um, like synchronize. So what you'd do is you'd have like an enemy team that were just like mates of yours, so they'd just faff around and not necessarily shoot you, leaving you and your friends. Because there are six of you, you could make a pyramid, like a three, then a two, <laughs> then a one. You just need to, like, do drops oh, you, properly, you, want, like... you know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's for Titanfall 2, is when you combine your Titans into a mega well, Titan. The thing. I think this is the point at which, like, they have Titan cheerleaders. You know, like, you have, like, in a, in addition to capture the flag. Oh, right, I was thinking, like, Power Rangers combining. No, things. no, I wasn't thinking of, like, a Megazord, exactly. I was thinking more in a Megazord kind of, pyramid. you know... Be aggressive, be, be aggressive, and then they just like pile up and be like, you know, and do like a maybe a jazz hands and then get on with the killing, you know, like maybe you you'd do get that like at half a... time when you're switching ends for the capture the flag. Yeah, like, well, I think there should be like bonus points for good choreography exactly. because the game, like, you know, feels so much better when you, you know, with all the motions flow. So you should definitely, like, if you can do like a dance routine or some kind of like gymnastic yeah. stacking. Uh, I just I don't see why you wouldn't be rewarded for this. I'm going to email Respawn about this. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, it is a really good game though. I, I am enjoying the heart of it, and I've, I've been playing a lot recently with the Smart Pistol, which is a really phenomenal idea that will totally get a load of angry internet people furious. Mm. So that's that's the one that auto locks on and then head shoots people after a delay. It yeah. auto locks on to like three people at a time, doesn't it? It's not just like a one kind of person thing. it basically does yeah. it for, for like the level of enemy it does it differently with grunts it will just lock on to like three maybe even more people and then mm-hmm. um uh i think it does it and then um cue them all up and you fire it all at once with specters it has to like lock on twice and with pilots it has to lock on three times really slowly and it's quite hard to do that mm-hmm. but the thing about it yeah. that makes that interesting is that because there's a really long delay before you can actually shoot a pilot and um so it basically turns the game from like a shooter with platforming elements to a platformer with shooting elements because you've got to fucking you've got to run around flipping off walls furiously whilst keeping this person in the middle of your screen mm. uh, in order to win otherwise they will just shoot you 
And so to actually be able to use a smart pistol in a way that will defeat another human being, you have to be really good at the platforming. So it's I, I found that really interesting. So it, it kind of, um, yeah, it kind of opens it up to a different kind of person who's maybe not very good at shooting but enjoys running off walls. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I just can't like do either of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I have spoken to people who are raging about it, going, oh, it takes no skill. Like, actually... Yeah. You know, mm. you shouldn't be running round the corridors in the open. Mm. So if and it takes, as you say, it takes ages to shoot. So yeah. So if if you come, if people are shooting you, well, maybe get better at hiding. Exactly. Like if <laughs> if you could, if you get one on one with someone, that's some good parenting right there. <laughs> Look, if people yeah. are shooting you, just get better at hiding. Don't expect me to do everything for you. <laughs> exactly. Like if you, it's weird that people are complaining about it because you're not likely to be shot by it very often. Because if you if you get one on one with someone in a smart pistol and you've got like a shotgun or something, you're probably going to win. You're going to shoot them before they have before they get anywhere near locking you. It's only when they yeah. when you don't see them, or when um uh or when they manage to just do an amazing bit of platforming that dances them around the room so you keep missing them. They're actually going to win. Uh, yeah, that's that's why they call it the assassin class, yeah. isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> so hang on if you played the beta how come you're not playing the um the full version now debbie was it just like it just didn't tempt you or you pretty much not i'm not a huge fan of or? shooters i'm not a huge fan of multiplayer shooters mm. i really enjoyed mm-hmm. the beta but paying what is it 45 quid on the xbox oh mm. yeah it's gonna be really expensive on that I, uh... even 25 on pc I'm like, oh, i'm not sure i can be bothered i'll mm. i'll play it possibly incessantly for three weeks and then never again well this is the thing i was kind of holding off because i figured like i i play shooters but i play them on console like if i do at all and yeah i can't aim on a console at all apart from (laughs) except for counter-strike yeah but like um so i figured it would probably be better to save my money for if people were still playing it in a few weeks time because it's like a case of you know people aren't playing it and I have to practice to kind of get approaching their level then it's kind of an extra time investment and then if no one's playing it in three weeks time anyway it's like well I I totally get that because it's hard to differentiate between it's hard to know at the moment between the shooters where you're going, oh, this is awesome, and then after a month you're like, eh, I can't be able to play that anymore, and the ones that you keep going back to. Um, mm. Like, yeah. uh, when Battlefield 3 came out, I thought I was going to be playing it all the time, but I gave up after about a month. I thought I was going to be playing Tribes Ascend all the time, but I, I, I but you know, I stopped after a couple of months. Mm. It's really hard to tell. <laughs> I thought I'd spend two weeks on Dota and then give up. Yeah. Conversely, so yeah, like yeah, I never thought I'd be able to play as much Counter Strike as I have. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, so uh, yeah, that's that's very cool. I'd be interested to see what we do over time as well, because um, the thing I was thinking about with the multiplayer campaign is it would be really easy to drop like extra to drop like a mission or two of that out in a uh, in like a DLC pack and then just like continue a story across a year like uh, Guild Wars has done. Um, but then again, I don't really like. They're doing the story. a thing like that, aren't they? Are they? Oh, I didn't realise. Am I thinking of Call of Duty? Oh, I'm thinking of the Call of Duty thing. Oh. Whatever it's called. Begins with E. Oh, I don't know what they're on now. <laughs> okay. I think yeah, it goes one, two, three, four. Black Ops Ghosts. Uh, <laughs> the activation. But they had they had like a long term deal. Well, not a long term, but a DLC pack you could buy that released more of the plot every month. I think something oh, like that. Interesting. 
Um, which again, I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people might get angry about, it, but I don't mind so much because I kind of like the shooters that get uh, the, the, all the multiplayer games like Dota or like Team Fortress 2 that kind of exist out there and are continually updated rather than buying a new one every two years. Mm. Um, uh, it'd be nice if more games could do that, but I also understand that most. But I also understand that. In order to do that, they will probably have to charge in a way that people will be pissed off about. They'll have to go free to play or have a subscription or be or be tied to the massive money tap with their Steam. Mm. Oh, it was called the Extinction uh, Pack is the thing I'm talking about. If anyone has heard of that, I don't know. no, but I sort of stopped. It's, it says. At a remote facility in the Alaskan wilderness, a shadowy nightfall program has been researching the origins of the alien threat. <laughs> and this is episode one of Extinction for Call of Duty. So yeah, people are trying it. Do you know what would be really good is if Call of Duty had the same naming convention as the Android operating systems. <laughs> and so like you'd have like, I don't know, ghosts and then H would be, I don't know, I can't think of a, a type of like poltergeist or something that begins with an H, but you know. <laughs> Humans through the alphabet. Ooh, yes. Um, <laughs> horrible nightmares. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's my contribution to that, which is nothing to do with games and just a piece of of thought that I should not really have shared out loud. What have you been well, playing, Leaf Hip? <laughs> um, is it Dota? Actually, uh, I just had a game of Dota, but it was it felt really weird because I have been playing a fair amount of Smite, uh, which is another MOBA, but it's um, or whatever we're calling them that isn't MOBAs because <laughs> lane pushing games is the last one I heard. That's what we've been pushing with on this podcast. Although Idle Thumbs prefer Lord, are trying to push Lords Management game. Mm, I think that might be more. It, it might be better for games that have like you know different kinds of modes like i think there's an arena mode where it's kind of like i think that actually that might be kind of all mid i haven't experimented too much yet i've been playing conquest which is their sort of 5v5 three lane thing um so yeah that's been kind of interesting it's um yeah it's it feels more like uh, League of Legends than Dota and, you know, like the way that the map is set up kind of supports that comparison because you've got like phoenixes which are sort of acting like the League of Legends like suppressors, I think they are. Um, so like if you kill the one at the end of the enemy lane, then it gives you like super creeps, super minions for a little while and they've sort of like got little flaming hats and swords and things um and they're sort of a bit more powerful uh until the phoenix respawns um so yeah like it's been interesting but then it's kind of also i'm going to delve a bit deeper into this and sort of try and read up about it but um one of the things that i feel is slightly problematic is that it's kind of like oh you know here are here are some gods from you know religions that have that sort of pantheon kind oh, of oh yeah I know, I you know, know they're all they're all dead except you know hinduism but you know that's yeah kind I... of fine and you're like <laughs> i remember that coming up like a year ago and it's just like what i it, it, i've seen this in other like media as well where hinduism just gets thrown into this generic pagan mythology with a bunch of Norse gods and Greek gods and it's like no it's not the same <laughs> this one's still active I assume it's because it's got that sort of pantheon mm. rather than you know monotheism like, yeah exactly but I mean 
it's still not. But like the Hindu stories are pretty crazy anyway. I don't think they mind. <laughs> I think that was uh, one of my friends was saying that there was actually a sort of a, a case for people objecting. I, that's why I'm saying I, I haven't really looked into it yet, but I would be interested. Yeah, exactly. We don't I was wanna... surprised to see, you know, when you look through the list of gods that you can play as and you've got, you know, ancient Greek and Norse and Mayan and then Hindu and you're like, one mm. of things yeah. is not quite like the others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to speak yeah. for actual Hindus, but I would I like know, to know what they think. It's just a thing that kind of occurred to me as soon as I saw the... Especially yeah. because, isn't it like Skimpy Carly? Or... Uh, oh, yeah. Because uh, I ended up... So, it, unless... If you don't buy the games, then you have, you know, like some heroes are unlocked, you know, mm. each, you know when you play. And so... I've had mostly sort of Egyptian and Norse gods to choose from at the moment, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, a few Roman ones sort of spattered in there. Um, so I'm not entirely sure, like, I, I need to look more into it and sort of see, you know, what difficulties everyone's been assigned and how they're sort of, you know, apportioning all of those things. But, yeah, it was... Uh, so I've, I've been playing as Emir, um, who is, I think, Norse mythology is kind of like an ice... Uh, giant. Oh uh, yeah, the, the from the frost giants. I vaguely yeah. remember from that yeah, period in everyone's life when they were actually into Norse myth- into mythology. Yeah, I was desperately trying to like dredge back through my memories. I really want to play as Hell. You can play as her, so that would be cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was all right, and I sort of managed to do some cool things with that. Um, and uh, but the one that I've been playing with most is Neith, which is like uh, an Egyptian goddess although i sort of objected a bit to her at the start because it's the person that they give you in the tutorial and you know they sort of just hand her to you and she stands there in the middle of the screen and you're like okay you are seriously not wearing much and the only thing i know about this game is they have clearly researched jiggle physics (laughs) (laughs) and so you're kind of like quickly um but yeah she's actually you know like her ultimate ability is like you can um sort of see all the way across the map when you sort of draw your bow and um fix on a particular target it's amazing for kill stealing so you know you can kind of see that someone's quite low and you're like well i didn't want them to get away and so you know shoot them from across the map the sniper of uh, smite then Exactly. So, um, so that was good. Um, I've not actually been great at winning games yet because, um, you know, just sort of bedding into a new MOBA and trying to work out, okay, which item is the equivalent of what in this other game that I play, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, I came home last night, uh, kind of drunk and sat down, had an amazing game. I went nine zero nine, which is like nine kills, zero deaths and nine assists. So I was like, "Wow, that was." They drunk more often. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the thing Doesn't that, that make you... does that <laughs> is um, that my highest, the, the best match I've ever had in Dota. Still, it was about this time last year. Uh, no, maybe this time last year and a month ago, kind of thing. Um, and I came home. I think it was like three in the morning. I was completely wasted after a friend's birthday party to the point where I fell off my chair while I was playing. But 
did the best that I've ever done. I was just like, right, I'm going to kill that guy. And then it happened. And I was just like, oh. yeah, you were tapping into your instincts rather than thinking about playing. Mm. I know, right? It's so the, the whole thing I used to say about playing pool or something in Vars is that there's a, you, there's, a, there's a tipping point where for about two or three drinks, you're better. And then after yeah. one, you immediately go rapidly downhill again. Yeah, you I get that with bowling. You've got to be careful what game we do that with, though, because I know uh, <laughs> my friend Tom played uh, XCOM on Iron Man mode and came home drunk one night oh, no. ruined his save. Oh, no. <laughs> his entire, got everyone killed except for one soldier that he named Balls Balls. And <laughs> he came in the next one, he was like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it was Balls Balls. <laughs> Oh man, that would be good though. Like if your game, you know, if not exactly if you got massively drunk regularly, but um, you know, like it, there is a certain sort of interesting experience where you've completely forgotten what you did in a game, and you sort of like have your eyes half closed as you investigate what your <laughs> file looks like at this point. I mean, like after that match, the Dota one a, a year ago, I remember the next day I kind of like was looking at Dota Buff, which records your match information, just because I was like i'm not entirely sure that really happened <laughs> there's um yeah it's, it's kind of like the thing we were talking about with um keza recently with um where you just uh, she jumped into like a dark soul save after like two years and mm-hmm. like couldn't remember where anything was and that idea of jumping halfway through into a game that's what a blind is actually kind of cool whether you like whether you made it ages ago whether you swap your save with someone else or whether apparently you were blind drunk when you did it mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, something I'd really like to do is um, where you sort of get a bunch of friends together and you've sort of been playing a, the same game and have made choices and then you just swap your save files around and like you have to sort of play as someone else and try and work out who they were or what they did or you know like I, I quite like that sort of mystery aspect to it. We really should do a thing that. sometime where we... <laughs> that happens to be all the time because I have no short term memory I have no memory at all. Mm. I leave Skyrim for two weeks, I come back, I'm like, this place is really cool, where the hell is it, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Are these guys friendly? And you walk up to them and then they hit you and you go, okay then. Like, I must have annoyed you last time, I have no idea <laughs> why, and then you sort of like trying to work it out and they're like, kill my Massacre chickens. Massacre a village by accident. Like, oh, yeah. That was it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think it would be quite a cool idea actually to do, um, just like, hand, uh, everyone swap Mass Effect 2 saves and then play Mass Effect 3. Like, yeah. What find out what state the other person left the universe in? <laughs> yeah, that's basically what I was thinking. Like that kind of idea, I'd be really interested to do it, maybe as a feature or something. So you know, maybe I should pitch that. Maybe I should write this down. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to it back on the podcast. It's fine. Well, no, brilliant. <laughs> I think it could be a combined thing where uh, yeah, to if uh, a few different people <laughs> try and see it from each other's point of view. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really need to play through those again but yeah like nova takes precedence at the moment because that's a work thing but yeah sorry i haven't got that much more to say about it but you know it's one of those things where like you're only a few hours in and it's like okay so this is the forward and back button i see although the weird thing the really weird thing is that most uh mobas like have you that you know top down isometric kind of view and this it is third person over the shouldery kind of you are in the game and that is weird because it's kind of like i don't know league of legends and jumanji the film had a baby <laughs> and so like you are sort of oh god i'm kind of playing as one of the heroes from a different game maybe 
you know you're sort of somehow on the on the ground like looking up and wondering you know who's controlling you almost (laughs) this is weird and like you start sympathizing a bit with with the characters because you realize how easy it is for someone to come up behind you and you don't see them (laughs) so yeah it's interesting because that would change the dynamic of a game of the game a lot just by restricting how much you can see but, well, it's but then again, the wards are more forgiving because in Dota you put a ward down and it sort of lets you see a bit more of a particular area. And but it's on you to keep an eye on the map um, and see, you know, if if anyone has crossed that particular line of sight. Um, but in this, it actually gives you an active, you know, hey, there's a hero that is now in sight of one of your wards. You might want to be aware of that. Um, and so yeah, it's like that a bit more of a concession because I think otherwise it would be like well you know I I think it would be a bit too problematic to expect you to keep an eye on the map maybe hmm. when it's yeah when it's that view I'd be interested to see how well it does for esports as well because I, I know a lot of people have forwarded the opinion that it's better to be have a slightly zoomed out perspective like in Dota or Starcraft because people can understand what's go everything that's going on they lance it feels a lot more chaotic like you know the tactics uh, that might just be because i'm playing you know obviously on relatively low levels you know at the moment and so you know it's it's with a lot more sort of beginners or you know whatever else and so they are just maybe not that good at communicating because they don't quite know how the game is working yet or you know how where anybody needs to be at a particular time so Mm. hopefully that will start to emerge uh later on as i play but at the moment it's just it feels so kind of oh there's a thing over there oh i guess i'll try and go over there um, <laughs> I, I hope that someone from my team will maybe back me up but <laughs> cool. yeah that's what i've been doing with my mm. is it free to play it is mm. it is okay <laughs> i feel like that wasn't quite enough <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah no it definitely mm. is um, so I've been playing. A, I've actually been playing a bunch of stuff this week. Uh, this week, but I don't want to monopolize the conversation. So I guess I'll talk about one or two of them. Um, I I, pl- I remembered playing something else, so I can, I can balance that out later. Because mm. um, I've, I don't know. Uh, it depends which one you'd like to hear about. I've been playing Ten Second Ninja. Um, been playing uh, Fiasco, the uh, pen and paper RPG, and I've also been reading Masters of Doom. Ten Second Ninja. <laughs> Tell us about the robot Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know there were Nazis in that game. That that took me by surprise. Really? <laughs> I basically, I, 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 well, I, knew, I didn't know anything about the plot, and I say the plot in in, in italics because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't it just robots that happen to be wearing Nazi bandanas? I think they're led by robot Hitler. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. In fact, Hitler is the final boss of every single level in increasingly cybernetic incarnations. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's quite interesting because it's I would not usually consider it my kind of game because I don't usually get super competitive about leaderboards or anything like that. But um, building the entire game around the concept of speedrunning actually works, I think. And it works because it's so quick and brief. Um, I think it made me think that the instant respawn button, the the instant restart button is actually one of the biggest technological and most important technological advancements in games in the last few years. Because it takes all sorts of things that will be incredibly frustrating, like a game where you're constantly dying and trying to save fractions of a second, shave fractions of a second off your time, and makes them fine because you can just hit the button and immediately restart with no problems whatsoever. 
the thing that I think Trials popularized it. Or I well, don't yeah, know. that's what I was going to say. Birds. It's the reason that Trials is amazing mm. rather than terrible. It's the fact that you have that instant restart. Because otherwise, it would just be like, no, it, that would be such a barrier to playing <laughs> yeah. and enjoying it. Exactly, and because it is so short, because it's. Um, I think there's a marathon mode when you finish it when you have to try and do all the levels in a row and that would probably drive me crazy. But um to but the fact that you are like you you get something in 4 seconds and your target will be to get that down to three and a half. So it doesn't really matter how many so if you do that 10 times you're still you're still playing less than a minute. So mm. it it's it's really great at taking all that frustration out of um scoreboards and time runs which would usually drive me crazy you know when it's like a racing game or um something like mirror's edge where you you do going your way through a like a five minute track and then you find out that you were just a couple of seconds too slow and you have to do the whole thing again and then you mess mm. it up at the i mean you mess it up about two-thirds of the way through and you have to go to the start again but because it t- takes it into these tiny little fractions uh it works i should probably actually explain what it is because it's a little bit more obscure than the things you're talking about um <laughs> 10 Second Injury is a game where you play a ninja and you have 10 seconds to destroy a bunch of robots. They don't actually fight back at all. Um, you just have like a bunch of robots scattered around a map and you've got, uh, you can slash your sword or you can throw up to three shurikens and that's it. And you've got to get them in 10 seconds just to pass. That'll give you one star and then there'll be target times to get you more stars and there's a leaderboard of like your friends and a global leaderboard. Um, <clears throat> and it's all based around can you do the level slightly faster? It's, it's speed running taken in at, at, as a main part of game design rather than a thing that happens on the end um, and yeah I've ended up really enjoying it um, but you have know, kind of hit that point where I'm just like I'm, I'm not sure how much effort I'm going to put into it I've, you know, I've played through all the levels I've got like I think two stars and everything and the only people on my friends list that have, play, that have played it are Graham and Ben and I'm comfortably be, I, I'm, I can comfortably beat Graham at everything but Ben is, if I ever actually want care about beating Ben, I know it's going to take me a long time to get that good. And I'm like, eh, shall I do it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Um, I don't know. Probably not usually in my experience because I'm, not, a hu- I'm not, not really into internet bragging rights or anything like that, but I might end up doing it anyway. <laughs> Just because it's, it's so short, it's so compulsive, and it's like, it's like, oh, I'll have one go at beating him. Oh, oh no, that was too slow. Oh, I'll have another go. Um, and this is how it starts. This is how you waste hours on something like, you know, Bejeweled. <laughs> I, I used to instant restart Bejeweled if I if I realised I was behind my, my top time. So, <laughs> I mean, that speaks to terrible problems in my own life. But I mean, too into it as well. You get into this bit where you act, where you accidentally restart like something halfway through when it's going perfectly well because you've just got used to hitting the button at that point. <laughs> like, yeah, some, yeah, you do get into a rut sometimes. You need to sort of step away. But um, and then like that resets your brain because like you're not sort of pressing on on a beat or something. Sometimes I find that like with stuff like that, changing the music that I'm listening to to something completely different, like not the game soundtrack, can help because you know you sort of subconsciously find yourself like moving in time to the music a little bit, and like sometimes the music will hit that beat that you needed to like a tiny fraction before you usually would would press it and so yeah like i think occasionally that has worked very occasionally it's a tiny <laughs> tiny thing and it yeah. might be meaningless so i might actually have been good at the game <laughs> who knew <laughs> yeah. so you have you seen the chroma video then uh, oh, I, not so much a video do you know of the game oh chroma? yes it's the new thing by yeah. um uh, harmonics isn't it yeah oh, oh yeah so that might be really interesting, or it might be terrible. 
So it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you've been playing, Debbie? Or have you? Have no, you... no, it's in oh, alpha, okay. and I haven't signed up for it. I was playing Elite Dangerous, which is also an alpha. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was at the BAFTA Inside Games thing that was last week. Oh, was it? Did they have a headset there as well? They had a bunch of them on Oculus Rift, but I just played the normal. Oh, uh, because uh, I've heard from a few people who've played it on Oculus Rift that it, it, it is the game that makes you go, wow, spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> Even without Oculus Rift, because they've just released Alpha 3, which has docking for the first time. <laughs> So, you know, you warp or whatever it is, hyperspace over to the station, pop out of hyperspace, and there's just this giant spinning cube. <laughs> wow, this looks phenomenal. Because it, it's a PC game. It looks amazing. Aww. And you're there in your little cockpit. And it's, it's actually, for an alpha, it's like not even a completed alpha. It's really quite complex already. Because you're there in your little ship, you've got all your little holographic displays in front of you, and you have to go over here to this menu and go request permission to dock or possibly lock target, whichever one. You probably shouldn't do that when you're at a space station, because it's quite large and you're very, very small. <laughs> and you can go over to the other side and you can buy loads of weapons. Oh, that's the other thing they've added into Alpha 3 is outfitting, buying whatever guns you want. So the ship they gave us had like four separate gun ports and two utility ports, whatever utility port is. don't know. I bought a cargo scanner, which I think scans ships to see what's in their cargo so you can decide if you want to pirate them or not. Does it have... Mm. Wow, it sounds like they have put quite a lot in it. Because I, I knew yeah. that the first release they had was basically just dogfighting, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this Alpha 3 is the big, like, look, this is now elite. This is... You fly in through the... You know, that's, I mean, that is the most interesting. I don't like dogfighting very much. Hmm. <laughs> I really like landing planes, as it turns out. <laughs> it is, it's like, it's the really cool, yes, I'm home, I've just completed the mission, and I'm hmm. back to spend all my money or whatever. And you fly in through your little slot, and it goes, okay, you've been approved to land in Bay 8. And then you have to look around and find Bay 8. And the one, the way they had it set up was with rotational correction. Mm. So... As soon, like, you have to rotate on the way in, but once you're about 10 meters in, it just fixes itself, and you go, okay, I just need to find the thing and go towards it. But you can turn that off yeah. if you want to be a pilot. The docking has always been a big thing in Elite, hasn't it? It's it's, it's never Apparently, been easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's, I, to be honest, I was very skeptical when the Elite Kickstarter went up, um, but it seems like... It was the worst Kickstarter I've yeah. seen in games for a long time. They basically went... Yeah, we're Frontier, we made Elite, give us some money, we'll make another one. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, and then we were like, planning. Yeah, exactly, and everyone was like, that was a long time ago, are you sure you can even really make a, a game nowadays? Yeah. The last thing like, you did you just was like, connectables. <laughs> do you know what space is? We know you do fluffy pandas really well. <laughs> but no, they, they really surprised everyone, I think, with how yeah. how, how quickly it's come out, I think, and how how finished uh, how finished it already feels. Um, yeah, no. I, during the big space wars of uh, 2013, <laughs> I, I was I was convinced that Star Citizen was uh, was going to pull ahead and the Elite was going to get left behind. But now I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I backed Star Citizen. Like I, that was my Chris Roberts space game. Here, take all my money. <laughs> moment. That's the only. I think it's the only thing I've backed without seeing anything else. And they they're getting really annoying now because they send me updates every week. I'm like, fuck off. Let me play the game or leave me alone.
the planetary line annihilation people do that to me all the time. They also they've recently they've they've had like uh, they've gone through the phases alpha and beta, and now they've added something called gamma. Gamma. <laughs> like it's released already. <laughs> just yeah, say it is. Just launch it. Um, I haven't actually. That's the weirdest thing as well because I put some money in right at the beginning of the Kickstarter and then haven't really gotten around to playing it. But it seems to be in really good shape now. Um, I know my friend Tom played it recently and really enjoyed it. So I hopefully give that a go. But no, uh, Elite looks really good and I am actually interested in it. Yeah. And I really want it now, but it's two hundred pounds to get into the Alpha. I'm like, nope. Really? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Two hundred pounds for Alpha access. One hundred for Beta access. I'm 35 when the game's out. Yes, yeah, so this is why people were sceptical. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's... You know, I've been playing Goddess. Like, Nick paid, I think, 30 quid for two copies? Uh, how is, have you played it since they did their big update? I love the fact that they claim oh. version 2.0 and it's still in beta at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they've apparently changed everything about the entire game. <laughs> well, uh... I should do, really. I forgot about that. <laughs> They were like, no more clicking. Well, less clicking. You can drag now. I'm like, yes. <laughs> You've come to your senses because all the clicking. Like, no, clicking is not fun. Tapping on an iPad for twinkly noises is fun. They're completely different things. <laughs> There's, I, I think, I think I find it fascinating about Goddess and stuff like that is that um, a lot of people will look at some mechanic that they don't like and that feels like fad-driven or trying to be like Facebook games or whatever, and I'll say, oh man, the publishers totally made the designers do this. But no, no, sometimes people just really like a fad, especially people yeah. following you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is, I'm not averse to games that require a lot of clicking. It's just that one sound is spectacularly boring. Yeah. They didn't really. Didn't yeah, you didn't anything. get much out of it. Like to move a little bit of terrain you had to click like five times to get all five levels down to where you wanted them and you were constantly clicking to harvest resources so it was just busy work Um, Mm. whereas I mean yeah I do like something Dota requires a lot of clicking Uh, but that's killing a lot of clicking but Diablo 3 especially makes clicking on a monster to make it go flying feel fantastic (laughs) Uh, yeah but in that case it's flapping it's not like chip away a tiny bit of landscape when you know you have another mile to go. Now chip away another. Maybe this is our own fault, though, because of that fucking cube. Oh, "Oh, absolutely. Everybody clicked on this bloody cube. Therefore, everybody loves clicking. It's like, that's not the lesson to take from this. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. About the cube, they should have just said, oh, it's a bit weird and not very good. And it's just not talked about it ever again. And we wouldn't have had to put up with that. (laughs) It's like, well, do you know what? You know, and shunned whatever was in the middle. And she's been like, well, you just keep it. I don't mind. I just did an interview with Molly for a gamer of like, two or three years ago where he basically floated the idea of curiosity in there where he talked about he was talking it was just when free-to-play mechanics were becoming big and he was like um talking about what if you know you could knock down a, uh, what if you had to click on a door a hundred times to knock it down or you could buy a, an axe to cut it down instantly <laughs> and it's like, oh. you made a whole game about that i thought it was just gonna be a crappy thing you stuck in fable but no <laughs> people bought that shit mm. uh. <laughs> do you want to talk about some more games or ask some questions sorry uh, Jackie yeah. Pip's po- hosting here well you know it's fine it's <laughs> fine um, no no uh, if there was nothing else that you guys wanted to talk about then sure questions from the internet would be a fine way to round this off and also yes. traditional 
Hmm. Well, I was going to talk a lot about it. I just finished Masters of Doom, which is uh, not a game. It is a book about uh, the creation of id software and the their kind of split up uh, with the conflict between Carmack and Romero and also the formation and collapse of Ironstorm, which is quite interesting. It's um, it uh, it's kind of like... it. I, I was reading it thinking... Why has no one made the social network version of this? Because it's um, uh, it's got some really fascinating like anecdotes about this collision of personalities and stuff like that. And I definitely recommend people read it because there's a lot of parallels between the early PC development scene that they it were part of and like the modern indie scene or something like that. Like the way they use shareware is very similar to the way people use digital distribution to cut down on overheads and stuff like that. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff in there that is people it's totally the kind of thing people talk about modern video uh, people uh, talk about you know being a thing that modern video games do like they um put out a demo disc for uh, well a shareware disc for quake which was sold for like ten dollars in stores with all of quake on it and you could phone them to get a code to unlock it for another forty dollars <laughs> so on disc dlc was the entire game for quake um, <laughs> of course everyone cracked it <laughs> so, <laughs> yes um that's why they stopped doing that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and a bunch of other crazy stuff like that. Um, but it's really fascinating, and there's um, some really uh, some a really good... They use um, John Carmack's D&D campaign as a framing device, which works surprisingly well, because apparently they had this big, complex D&D campaign running, which influenced a load of their stuff, like um, Quake... Uh, was originally supposed to be a fantasy game about um, like this fantasy warrior with a giant hammer and a demon cube companion who sounds a bit like the dog from Fable um, <laughs> that was based on a character from a D&D game. Um, and that game ended when uh, John Romero took a, uh, a book called The Demonomicon and, gave it to, uh, and sold it in a deal with the devil that let demons loose on Earth in a way that inspired Doom uh, <laughs> in exchange for the most powerful sword in the game, the Daikatana. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a brilliant framing device because it's the story of how John Romero destroyed the world in his pursuit of Daikatana <laughs> okay <laughs> which obviously then is exactly what happened to Einstein but uh, yeah it's really interesting if like me you are kind of missed that very early end of um, games development and kind of got into games around 1999-ish to find out what happened in the previous 10 years or even just from a business perspective, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's... Who's it written by? Is it like a journalisty sort of thing with talking interviews, or is it an insider? It's David Kushner. Who? What does he do nowadays? So I'm sure I've heard that name before. Uh, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's a journalist who's written for like uh, I think Wired and Rolling Stone and other places like that. Okay. Um, and he's written other novels about like Grand Theft Auto and things like that. Um, but he was around for a lot of this thing. And you can kind of tell that because he feels, at times it feels a little bit old. Like, there's a strange, he constantly describes people playing games as twitching or convulsing. And it's like, whoa, really? <laughs> these people, Nobody does that. Yeah, these people need hospital. Uh, <laughs> but I guess it's because it was yeah. a fairly alien motion at the time. And he, you know, he remembers a time before people concert before people were constantly clicking away at mice to blow up heads on demons maybe he doesn't play games does he play games i assume so he's he just weird I, describes it in a lot of detail but yeah <laughs> it's um 
Maybe he just does that thesaurus thing. <laughs> oh, I've said click a lot. <laughs> All right, let's let's make it sound fancy. <laughs> well, thing, twi- it uses Twitch a lot, and occasionally it's convulsing. And one time, it's convulsing as if they'd stuck their foot in an electrical socket. That was his description of like the first Doom Deathmatch proper pro tournament, uh, oh. which is strange. I I can't. <laughs> yeah, that guy that guy had a stroke in the middle of the match. Exactly. Um, I've never. Well, actually, no. I I have electrocuted myself, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't anything like playing a game. <laughs> But you can't really remember? Uh, I was very young at the time. Basically, like I saw a fence that was really flimsy. And I was like, oh, that's weird. It must be like an electric fence or something. And then grabbed it. I was like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, shall we answer some questions? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Do you have questions? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Have I have questions? Have... Has anyone <laughs> questioned us? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got a few. Um, just three. Uh, Oscar Strick... As, uh, we've been discussing today on the Ontological Geek podcast, which I've not listened to, but I should check out, because Oscar's been one of our longest, most long-term listeners, I think. Um, do you know of any asylum depictions in games that are not offensive? Ooh. Well, asylum depictions tend to be part of horror games, and I tend to... that's not my natural happy place yeah. in horror games. So I sort of... I think I probably haven't seen... A wide variety of them. I guess this question might be partly intended for me because I wrote about uh, I wrote about a depiction of mental illness for the asylum a while back because I actually used to work in a secure mental health facility um, yeah. as an admin. And it's definitely for you because I was thinking <laughs> I don't know anything about asylums aside from <laughs> yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which seems to be what they're all based on. Yeah, that's totally, I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is like the thing that's not just in games but all media is kind of coloured the way these places are depicted um but one flow of the cuckoo's nest was made in the 70s and is set in the 50s so it's kind of out of date yeah um but uh to be honest i was struggling to think of anything really because there's so much there's so much stuff like outlast or you know i guess arkham asylum is so it's so much its own thing by now that that doesn't matter but there's the the, the, the notion of the gothic um asylum and of the nasty doctors who experiment on patients uh mm. the best i could come up with was the darkness 2 um which has a bit where um it has the sort of classic was everything that has happened in the game so far a dream um spoilers it's not uh, it's never a <laughs> uh, section but it uh it opens in quite an an asylum but well uh, an institution that actually resembles mental health institutions a lot more than a staff are very helpful they're they're very even when um jackie gets angry and they try and restrain him they're very much trying to be gentle and helpful and it actually and, and the way it looks as well and that it's a clean facility um it's not some haunting gothic place uh the way it's constructed you can see that they probably went to some similar places because of the way that um you have like a staff set you have like a rec room with a staff window overlooking it so that they can keep an eye on everyone, um, and it kind—it of, doesn't look like some horrible, terrifying gothic mansion so much as it is quite a nice country house. Um, for some reason, in for some reason in media, these places are always like set a little way outside of town because I think that's more comfortable for people. But um, no, they're totally in like the suburbs. Mm. Um, no, people got to get to work. Yeah. Um, that said, the people within there are kind of portrayed as comedy mentally ill. Um, partly because they're supposed to be characters from the story that you've met so far, I think, and that's 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 the 
problem with it, I think, is that um, you're doing it's doing this whole thing where everyone's telling him like, but darkness isn't real. You're just mentally ill, um, which obviously isn't true within the context of the game. Uh, it's this classic thing where everyone tells you that uh, where, where you use the you use psychiatry as a device for someone to tell that the the uh, protagonist that things that happened to them weren't real and they always were. And that's kind of problematic in its own way because that's exactly what people think when they don't take the medication. You know, that's that's kind of playing into the fear, playing into the fears that um, the mentally ill actually have. Um, Isn't that kind of the point, though? Yeah. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but it's. Um, but other than that, that is probably the best I can come up with, and that actually resembles the place that I worked in. Um, whereas no other game has even come remotely close. I think like Outlast has fucking death traps in the basement <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm pretty yeah. sure those weren't there. I didn't explore and zombie them. things without mouths. Exactly. So um, that's the yeah. Even though that's not real and in his head, that's more accurate than most games. There you go. Um, Nicholas West asks: Is it more enjoyable to write a review of a bad game or a fantastic game, and which one causes more stress to write? Hmm. Um, bad games tend to be fun but you're, that's probably because you've had to play the fucker <laughs> and you're there going oh no so you can take out all your frustration in the review but then you know you remember that the developers might be following you on twitter or something and you feel bad well, it's that thing isn't it Like I, I do firmly believe that no one sets out to deliberately fuck up you know, they, you know I don't think that you know, somebody wants their work to be bad or for you to hate it. And so, you know, when there's a bad game, you know, you might hate the experience of playing it. But then when you write it up, like I still do feel, you know, responsible for, you know, being accurate. And just because I absolutely hated it, like, you know, I, I'll still try and find the good things about it. Because, yeah. you know, I guess rarely anything is without any redeeming qualities. Um, and so I don't know. It's. I feel more responsible when I'm writing those things because I really want to make sure I'm talking about the game and not just, you know, crapping on someone's work, you know, <laughs> because I had a horrible time, you know, and I think that sort of helps. Yeah, you do need to do a bit of self-analysis to make sure it's not just that I don't like this particular yeah. type of game. Mm. Yeah. Like, I really hated Super Mario, what was it, Super Mario 3D World? Mm. hated it but it's a very very good example of a genre and it's fun if you like that kind of thing and ultimately i gave it a great review mm. as in i said that this game is great but my god i'm never playing that again that's always a tricky thing to do which i guess is why often you'll just have things assigned to different people like if you if, it's, if this isn't my kind of game if it's like i don't know starcraft 2 or whatever i'm just gonna say no it's, it's not really my thing please give it somewhere else yeah um, I would. I I don't have people or a budget. Yeah, which is so obviously... I do wind up with these things. I like. Oh man, I really need to review this. It's... Yeah, it's obviously what makes it trickier. Um, I do think I will probably say it's more enjoyable on the whole to write a review of a good game because you've played a good game. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem I have with those is I'll just go on for thousands of words, and nobody wants to read thousands of words on this bit was really good and that was great and the other. I guess in some ways the most interesting ones are the ones that lie somewhere in between that where it's good but it's got a missed opportunity or it's bad but there's some really interesting redeeming feature. Yeah. Um, it's better when the game is interesting for sure or like when it's at least varied to write about because you oh, know yeah. ignoring like... the playing experience like I've played some games recently that I've had to write about that were just average mm -hmm. 
like you know and everything about them felt average and that was not fun to write about and you're trying to make it engaging to the person reading it but you don't want the game to sound engaging when it isn't it's just like yeah. this is a massively average piece of something <laughs> so and you wind up trying to write 800 words of yeah well it's all right yeah. like and you know the graphics they were average too <laughs> not too uh, bad they were nice and bits average <laughs> also average it's, it's nice uh, when there's something you can hang your hat off you know when you can go it had this really interesting idea and either it worked or it didn't work um but that's better than this is a bullet hell shooter that is quite good this is competent that is the only word that i can think of at this point and so so yeah like a generic white shooty man to write i find Mm. like than the ones where something was bad or Mm. massively good or just sort of interestingly varied or had interesting ideas that it couldn't deliver on or you know to me i think the most stressful but also possibly the most interesting are the ones that are like tragic uh, other ones that are like you know those almost ones those this could have been brilliant but it's kind of screwed up in some ways or i really love this thing about this game but i can't recommend it because it fails in so many other ways um they're the most interesting they're they're, in some ways they're the the most interesting to think about critically but they're also Mm. an absolute headache when it comes to putting a score on the end if you have to do that yeah i get that with alan wake (laughs) Mm. um i haven't played that much of alan wake but I play well. I play like the first episode or so because that's the weird thing. It's an episodic game, except you buy the whole thing because <laughs> it does. Yeah, the, it does the like previously it's... on Alan Wake thing halfway. Through, yeah, it's literally which... built in episodes. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, the first time that happened, I just burst out laughing. <laughs> yeah, like I just played that. <laughs> I know what happened. Yeah, no, Alan Wake is a great one of a game with a load of interesting ideas that maybe don't quite work, um, and that's really hard to write about. But also fascinating to think about. There's stuff like um, Deadly Premonitions as well. Yeah, because the review that I wrote for that was basically like, "Look, I'm going to re- recommend it to you, but here are all of the caveats, and if any of them are game-breaking for you, you will not enjoy it." Mm. <laughs> I felt the same way about Alpha Protocol. Mm. Yeah, that's another one. That's. Mm. Um, and. The last question is, uh, do you think death plays too big a role in AAA game design? Um, well, it's kind of meaningless. Like, you know, I mean, sometimes you manage to sort of get invested in a character. or Like, I was massively invested in um, my Mass Effect uh, cast by the time I, you know, got even, you know, to the end of the first game. Um, and so for that, like, it, it was super meaningful when I lost Morden. You know, like, yeah. like, oh, God, you know, that's that's dreadful. And so, you know, when when they can do it successfully, then that's fine. But when it's just like, OK, well, game over and then you start again from last checkpoint mm. or last save, you're like, well, death is kind of meaningless. And I, with um, I was playing uh, Amnesia and Machine for Pigs and, you know, at some points, like you die. But when you or you, like the, the creep, you know, things will get you. But the it will sort of respawn you in a point that maybe was more helpful than the one that you died in. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. yeah. I've done that in MMOs sometimes. It's like, you know, actually the fastest way for me to get to you is just to die my way forwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I don't think they use death too much. It's just that, like, it, it's sort of interesting seeing 
the points at which it 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 becomes meaningful again like you know when when people have managed to do something either different or at least yeah meaningful it's kind of the default fail state in all games um yeah not just just triple a i don't think so it's worth asking yourself the question i think every time you design something of um do i need to do death here could i do it a bit differently would it help and sometimes the answer to all those questions will be no but it's worth asking the question yeah, like Sands of Time dealt with it really well. Mm. Shortcut scene, boom, there you are, back where you were. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, well, we talked about instant respawns there. And what's interesting about that is that in the games we talked about for them, it's not really dying that matters, it's just cocking up and taking too long. Um, and you've got stuff like, I know there's a bunch of games that try and play around with it, like uh, the Bioshock or System Shock games have always tried to just basically assume that you're going to quick save and reload and so instead give you these chambers to climb out of or whatever i'm not sure how well that one works but um it's more it was a nice framing around it uh, planescape torment does it as well probably more interestingly because everyone in the world realizes that this has happened if you were talking to someone and they killed you and then you come back later they're like just what the hell just happened well that was that was rather an essential part of your character wasn't it yeah, they built that whole concept. They built the entire game around that concept, which is interesting. Um, yeah. I was going to say, uh, talking about alternate like fail states, um, weren't you talking about that recently on, on the other podcast, Pip? Was I? Uh, I what did I do? What did I say? What was going on? <laughs> Something intelligent, apparently. Something oh. about like alternate fail states in games. I can't remember what it was. Oh, the scars in Fable, um, where if you get killed in Fable 2, you get a... Yeah, um, you get back up again instantly, but you get a scar which you oh. might have to take off your character. Mm. Um, there's, I also thought Journey does a really interesting version of that, where the only bad thing, the only like um, fail state in Journey is the monster that eats part of your scarf. Um, and yeah, have you guys, have it's you guys not got, death at all. It's yeah. just. But have you guys you're Journey? crippled? I love Journey. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say because. Um, you, and that doesn't prevent you from playing the game because you can complete the whole game with minimum scarf but it means you can't glide as far and gliding is fun it means you look less awesome it means yeah. that anyone who if any other player drops into your game they don't say oh man what an epic scarf lord that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, you know it, it loses a whole bunch of like small intangible things uh, rather than any facility to play the game and I, I, I was way more angry at losing my scarf than I would have been at like dying and just restarting the same section like three times over um, I was like, no, it was so beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a very good incentive to stay the heck away from those monsters. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to see more of that, maybe. Um, and I guess that is kind of a form of perma death, only it's not death. But there was never it's any not way to death at all. Oh, it's like the opposite of perma death. Basically, I guess, yeah, video games. Yeah, it's a permanent disadvantage. Like, yeah, like, like with Fable Two, it's there's. Um, there's no rowing it back. There's no reloading to a point before you lost your scarf. The, it's permanent consequences, I guess. I think yeah. that's, that's what I'd like to see people think of maybe more than permadeath. Mm. Right. <laughs> I'll take that silence as <laughs> meaning you have nothing more to say on that subject. I, I was trying to remember what the original question was. Um, do you think death plays too big a role in AAA game design? I uh. think it doesn't play enough of a role then mm. because, you know, of, of what we've said before, because death in in most video game context isn't death it's just you know the yeah. the default it's a lazy punishment. state that is easy it's kind of like how 
asylums get used as a kind of shorthand for this is a scary thing that people don't necessarily understand and therefore you know being in this creepy place where terrible things used to be done because of that you know mm. it's sort of a, a lazy strip clubs reference point and so with with death it's kind of like well you know death is a a, a universal thing and, and that's, so a, that, that's such a lazy more... thing as well sorry to go back to the asylum thing briefly because the scariest things are familiar places that have become unfamiliar and scary not just weird gothic mansions or whatever it's like yeah but it's the case that your mind has become unfamiliar and scary in yeah. that context and so but uh, with the death question it's that you know it's it's that thing of well we all understand death as a kind of an end point and so you know that's what we're going to use it as here it's kind of like it's it's kind of like a just a bit of a lazy metaphor really uh whereas some games do actually explore the idea of death or the idea of dying or the sort of the fears and, and yeah, as planescape torment does and i think does bioshock infinite do that to an extent because i remember someone saying that when you like you die and then you just open a door and walk out from a different place all the enemies react to it but i don't know if it actually means anything no. in the game. no they don't oh, no they don't no no, I don't think so. Like, do, doesn't Elizabeth bring you back to life with like a like? You don't actually die. She resurrects you with uh, you know an injection and. No, no, you do die. There's I can't, I can't, a weird. You I wake thought, up in your office and sometimes Elizabeth is standing there, and but I there's people pounding on the door. Die on me and and sort of you know injects you with a. With a thing, I shall have to go back and. and Maybe it's certain plot-specific points, but in general, if you die in combat, mm, you just pop out this door. Mm. Okay. Or possibly she wakes you up in the office. I can't remember. It's kind of like... It was like a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've already established my lack of memory. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of like... Well, I don't know. I haven't actually found it from how other people described it. I thought it was kind of like the Left 4 Dead closets, which are weird unto themselves, but at least they serve... At least they form a game mechanic in the... Um, in, in that as soon as you see someone else in a clo- someone else trapped in the closet, so to speak, you have to fight your way towards them and get them out, and that becomes an objective um, that you have to balance around. Is that if one of your team dies? Yeah, in a, you if, spawn them from a closet. Yeah, like you'll find them. Okay. In a, in a, there's like a bunch of small rooms in uh, various levels, and as soon as you and they'll be watching through your camera, they won't actually see it themselves, and then. That you'll see like their outline banging on the door and shouting, saying, "Hey, I'm in here!" And then you open it up, and then they immediately <laughs> respawn. Uh, so we're saying, when you die in Left 4 Dead, there's somebody who's actually walking around behind the party, <laughs> and they grab your body, wag you in a closet, and run away. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange one. I feel like if if it wasn't for the fact that the survivors were all different characters, that would kind of be like that. It would kind of be like, oh, well, that person died, but now you're playing the new survivor. <laughs> Except that they're all, clear, you're all clearly like, you Identical. know, Francis <laughs> yeah, and Joe and Zoe and Lewis and all that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I you know, shocks is very much, you just pop back into the, like you have this little weird office door thing, you just pop mm. back into the world and the enemies that you killed are dead, but the ones you didn't are still around and they just shoot you. Actually, I'd really like to see that as a an idea, maybe more often, like if, if say, going back to the uh, like early nineties, late nineties, early two thousand games. Like if you had uh, like a big um, war game, like those all those 
you know how every game in the world tried to do storming Omaha Beach after seeing Saving Private Ryan. He has something <laughs> like that, but every time you got shot, you just like moved left and you took over the next soldier in line. Uh, <laughs> I think it would maybe give more of a sense of the sc- more of a sense of the scale of war or something like that. Like that Messiah game from years ago. Oh yeah, was that the, that was the one where you were you were a little Cupid thing. Mm. That jumped into bodies, and then the bodies die, and you just jumped into someone else. Or Omicron, the Nomad Soul. Um, one of the Dream's first, and possibly still strangest game. Um, where they actually tried to do it. Which had, yeah, that was the last time they tried to do all class, traditional game mechanics as well. Because I think there was a first-person shooter in there, and a fighting game. And also it was scored by David Bowie. It was a very strange game. <laughs> okay, I never <laughs> played it. I don't yeah. know anything about it. Yeah, well, imagine an open world game, open world game with FPS, uh, with adventure elements, FPS stuff, a, f- uh, a, a 2D fighting game, written by David Cage and scored by David Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Omicron Nomad Soul? Are they the same thing? Uh, I'm confused now. Um, yeah, Omicron and Nomad Soul are the same thing. It's just Omicron okay. colon, colon Nomad Soul. Ah, right. I, I I don't know why so many people in games do this just if if it's the first game just give it an ordinary title yeah, <laughs> like murdered soul suspect yeah it's like well, is that, which one of the murdered series is that yeah um yeah or um or dragon age origins it's the first game just call it dragon age i was very confused by that too <laughs> it sounds like a prequel to itself <laughs> it does uh, i think though that that's yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. I think we've answered the question, but now that sounds rude. If I'm going to cut across somebody who actually had, you know, more to say. Interesting point. I think we're yeah. done now, everybody. Right, well, I'm done. So bye. <laughs> no, I think I think we are done. Yeah. I think once you start talking about David Cage, it's. it's yeah. Yeah. I say yeah. So uh, like the gaming podcasts. We've got a terror. Godwin's law. Oh man, I, I, yeah, I made like, I think I made a tag cloud for our podcast recently in the David Cage just in huge letters. He's only made three games. Uh, uh, four? Yeah, four. but he's got a Legion of Honor now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, we talked about Omicron beforehand. Uh, decided it's the, it's the Omicron and the Laughing Gnome are the two things David Bowie never talks about. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was on the podcast with Kezza, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody they should interview him about that. <laughs> <laughs> super awkward. If you're listening, editors, that is pretty much. I think every freelancer's dream article is: Can we interview David Cage about? Time? No, sorry, uh, David Bowie about that time he did the score for a David Cage game. Uh, he might have really enjoyed it. Mm. Hard to tell. He might be there wishing people would ask him about that instead of his next album and all these yeah. questions. They might be best mates. They might be having like a little Facebook chat <laughs> right now saying, you know, how are things are? <laughs> you know, I've got a new How are you? Oh, you know, I'm just, you know, sitting in my house, working on my things, you know, playing <laughs> games. So I'm with you. That's why I got in touch. I just thought it would be nice to resurrect. Yeah. Where's the Kickstarter for Omicron 2, David? <laughs> David and David, like, <laughs> fan fiction. And, <laughs> no, I genuinely think this is the time to stop. Yeah, you've started uh, shipping David. So <laughs> it, it would be called David Squared. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Or, like, David, but with the I as, like, two eyes. Like, you know, the Roman numeral two. David. 
Yeah, Dave. Dave, not Dave, oh, actually. God. Yes, Dave. Oh, yeah, Dave. Yes, Dave. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, we should probably say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> goodbye. Bye. Bye. Oh, that's like a weird ending.